Well, good evening, and would you join me in the book of Zechariah tonight? We're going to be in chapter 3. I'd like to read the last three verses again of the book of Zechariah. And we're going to be looking at Christ the righteous branch. Christ the righteous branch. Zechariah brings us out for the comfort of the church. The church during his time. And the same comfort was for the church prior to his time. And the comfort was for the church after his time, during our time. This comfort that we have from this righteous branch. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 8, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my my servant, the branch. And for behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes, Behold, I will engrave the engraving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. We're going to be specifically looking again at verse 8 because there's so much in this verse of Scripture. And last week we read several verses. I'd just like to review a few of them. In the book of Isaiah, would you turn with me to the book of Isaiah? Because we find that the Lord is called a branch in a number of books of the Bible, uh, specifically in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and here in Zechariah. But in the fourth chapter of the book of Isaiah, we have these words about the branch. Fourth chapter of the book of Isaiah, and there in verse 2, In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. Here we have the branch of the Lord, and this is that beautiful branch. Now, we'll find out that the word branch not only means something that comes off of a tree, but also it means a direction of, of a people, a tribe of people. And we find that the Lord Jesus Christ represents the righteous tribe. The Lord Jesus Christ represents the Jacobs of the world. He's the one that prayed for his people, not for the world, but for his people. So he represents this tribe of Israel called the church. And he represents this people that are after Jacob. Uh, The seed of Abraham, not seeds, but the seed of Abraham is who he represents. So he is the branch for them. He is the leader of that group. He is the leader of that tribe. But also, he's the one who provides the sustenance for his people, and that is in the, in the branch. And in that 11th chapter of the book of Isaiah, we have this term used again. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. The scriptures, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Once again, we have this uh, terminology, this picture, uh, this type in the shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ as pictured as a rod or a stem of Jesse. And Jesse was the uh, one that brought forth David. And David is mentioned a number of times. In fact, we'll look at that a little more as uh, the evening progresses. But moving over to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. 
Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, we have these wonderful words about the Lord as he's mentioned the branch once again. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, the scripture says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will raise up, I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. This is a righteous branch. David, I'll raise unto David a righteous branch. And we find that the Lord Jesus Christ is the leader of the group, the leader of the tribe of the righteous ones. Now, it's not their righteousness that we're dealing with, but His righteousness imputed to us. And that's what we rejoice in. We rejoice in Him as the leader of that branch. He is the head of the church. He is the, uh, and, and the church is the body. And, and He imputes to them His righteousness and He gives to us the blessings of the Godhead in Christ Jesus. And as, uh, again, would you turn with me to the book of Jeremiah 33 and verse 15. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 15. And again, he is spoken of here in this passage of Scripture as the branch. He is the branch of righteousness in this passage of Scripture. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David. I'll cause the branch of righteousness to grow unto David. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. All of these verses of Scripture combined share with us much about the Lord and much about His righteousness and much about what He will do uh, in His uh, uh, coming to this earth. And then we had that passage of Scripture in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8. But let's go to Zechariah 6 and verse 12. And in that passage of Scripture, we have the branch once again. Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. He is the one that is going to build the church. He is the one that is going to build this, uh, uh, as it says here, the temple of the Lord. Now, all of these verses of Scripture have something to say about the Lord Jesus Christ. And in these places of Scripture, when Christ is called a branch, we are to understand His human nature is intended. What a glory it is to be shared by the Holy Spirit that God came in the flesh. That God came as a servant, that God came as a man, that God was the uh, seed of the woman. And this has been the promise from the, from the very beginning. It wasn't long. How long? An hour? A day? How long? It was after the fall, but those, our parents, that were in the Garden of Eden, were shared this wonderful information. The seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Now, I was asked to read part of a book today. Uh, a fellow handed it to me. He said that he'd been given this book. Would, uh, have I ever read the, anything about it? Or do I know the author? And I said, no. But I took and read it. And there's one of the chapters that said something about Satan. So I opened it up. And right there, this man began to teach that Satan can read our mind. 
And I closed the book and gave it back to him and I says, the Satan is not omniscient and not omnipresent and not omnipotent. Satan is a, is a created being. So if we have that premise in a book about anything, we're going to find out that we're going to make a grave mistake because God is sovereign. He's sovereign over Satan. He's sovereign over the world. He's sovereign over his people. And he is that righteous branch. And he had a promise in being that righteous branch that he would save his people from their sins. That was the reason he came to this world, came to this earth, and was born of a virgin. So when we look at this pictures in the Old Testament, just as in all of the other types and shadows and pictures, when we look at those, we're to understand that Jesus, or that Christ, that the Messiah, the Son of God, was going to come to this earth. He was anointed in the covenant of grace to be the perfect offering for our sin. And he came with the intent of doing that very thing of being the perfect offering for our sin. The accepted offering. The the righteous offering. So he is that branch. And would you look at a couple of verses of scripture that are mentioned here in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 2. Day of Pentecost. Great truths are being declared, proclaimed about what all of this that just recently happened, what does it mean? How does it fit together? And we find that those that were preaching on the day of Pentecost were given information by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed unto them the truth of the gospel. They had some questions at times during the ministry because they had been subject in their culture that... Somehow, just as many people today read the Old Testament and say, well, God is going to overthrow any natural enemy of national Israel and we'll be free. Well, that wasn't the intent. The intent was that God was going to save his people and he would make them free, but the rest of it uh, is just going to play out as God has purposed in the covenant of grace. So, here in the book of Acts, as these preachers were preaching. Twelve of them were preaching simultaneously. How far apart they are, they're not interfering with each other, but they're preaching the same thing. They're preaching Christ and Him crucified. And the reason for that crucifixion, that is wonderful, a study to find out the reason for Christ's crucifixion, and that was to save His people from their sins. Acts chapter 2, and there... Excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verse 30... We read these words, and we just want to make this comment. This is a New Testament quote, yes, but it's a New Testament quote from the Old Testament before the Incarnation. This is the promise that was made to David, and they are reflecting on this promise on the day of Pentecost, and saying here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 30, Therefore, being a prophet. Now, he's talking about David. If you go back to verse 29, David is the one here. And David, therefore, being a prophet. Now, we don't normally comment of David being a prophet, but he was a proclaimer of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what a true prophet is, is a proclaimer. Now, if it steps outside of those guidelines, we find out we get into trouble. But if we stay within those guidelines, preaching Christ and Him crucified, we'll stay the course. We'll stay the course. So here, knowing, therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath unto Him. 
Now, if God has ever sworn with an oath unto you or to me that he will be the Savior of his people, we can claim it. We can claim that promise. God, though he could swear by no greater, swore by himself. He promised by himself. I will keep my word. And we are, uh, we find out wonderful things about God. He's able to do that very thing. He's able to keep his word. He is all powerful. So he's able to keep his word. He swore with an oath. He swore by himself. And it says here that of the fruit of his loins, the fruit of David's loins, someone down the generations. Now we could go over to uh, one of the Gospels that tells us the generations from Abraham to David and from David to the the uh, uh, going back to Babylon or from Babylon and from then to Christ. According to the flesh, the fruit of his loins. According to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Now there's no greater throne that Christ could reign over than the throne of the church. How what a blessing! He sits on the throne over this earth. He sits over the throne of all angels. He sits over the throne of all kingdoms. He sits over the throne of of the weather. He sits over the throne of wind. He sits over the throne of hurricanes. He sits the throne over everything. But to know the church, knowing that he is their absolute monarch and that he guards them with every fiber of his being and he will not let one of those that that he uh, purchased with his blood, ever falter or fail. He never got involved in Judas's problem, but he did get seriously involved with the other 11 when they denied him. And how did he... Uh, I'm just amazed. I, I've been, I mentioned this so many times recently, but it was just a blessing to me. He never got involved with uh, retribution or charges against them. His words to them was peace. And we say hallelujah, because we falter all the time. But we still get to hear the King of kings and Lord of lords say, Peace be unto you. You're mine. You belong to me. I'll keep you clean and present you spotless. So, this one here, it says there, Knowing that God had sworn with him, he is promising. He is a prophet that is used by the Holy Spirit to promise the Messiah is coming. That Jesus Christ, as we know Him in the New Testament era, that the promise is coming, that the Messiah is coming, that the Christ is coming, that the Son of God is coming. The promise was made to David. And you know what? David believed that. By faith, he believed that. Just as Abraham believed it. You know, we don't have a, a very good understanding of what's going on in the Bible, but we are given the grace to believe it. God is great. And we're just given the faith to believe that He is great. And David believed that. And though it wasn't right with his house, he had some problems in his household. He knew in his heart, just like Abraham knew in his heart when he started up that mountain with Isaac, that they were going to come back down together. He knew in his heart. By faith, he believed it. Just like God's people today. Doesn't make sense to the world, but it makes sense to them. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. Well, in the book of, of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, once again, we have this similitude here of a branch or a root or an offspring. But this is the Lord speaking about himself after the fact, after the incarnation and the fulfillment of all the prophets 
and the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament are summed up here in the book of Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I've mentioned this before, but it's not the revelation of St. John the Divine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of Him. And what good news we have here. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. The Scripture says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. This is our testimony. This is our declaration. This is our preaching. This is what we want to bring up. Christ and Him crucified. He says, I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. What's He saying there? I'm the God-man. I am the son of David, and yet I'm the bright and morning star. I am God. I am man. I am 100% man. I'm 100% God. I am the God-man. There is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And the church just bows at that because there could be no other mediator. There could be no other intercessor. He's the only one that could complete the job. No priest, no preacher, no class teacher, no parent, no grandparent can ever make intercession. Though we pray for our children and our grandchildren, we pray for our brothers, we pray for our sisters, we cannot be a mediator for them. We can bring them up before the throne of grace, but we cannot be a mediator. There is one mediator, and His name is Jesus Christ the Lord, the high and lifted up one. This one that has been from eternity. As Brother Mike has been bringing out in the Bible class, he is the I am, the I am. And once we get a hold of the I amness of God and the I amness of Christ, we are on high ground. We're blessed to the soul when we see that. So, here we have these wonderful blessings about the branch. Now, going back, if you would, we find that uh, Isaiah shares again about this branch. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53, the great gospel chapter of the gospel according to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, what a blessing it is to read these verses of Scripture and to keep in mind who it's uh, who has been spoken of. You know, if we ever have a question, all we have to do is go over to the book of Acts and hear the words of Philip. He began at the same place and preached unto him Jesus. Ever have a question what this is all about? The whole passage is about our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and there in verse 2. Notice this with me. Isaiah chapter 53, and there in verse 2. These wonderful words about this branch, the Lord Jesus. The one that would come and in coming suffer for our sin. What's that mean? He would take the righteous judgment of God upon him and our sins were imputed to him and God took them out on his son. And then we find out we were in Christ when that was happening. Anything that was our charge was placed on him and we were in Christ. And we just say, thank you God for your great work of grace, your great purpose of salvation. Isaiah 53 and verse 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. You know, to the world, he was, he wasn't even noticeable. He didn't, he didn't prate around like the Pharisees. 
He didn't, he didn't call attention to him. But we find even his enemy says he performed many miracles. Their testimony was true too. God works it out that out of the mouths of some of the most noxious people that have ever been in a position on the face of the earth, they speak the truth. Think of that Nebuchadnezzar as he spoke the truth about God and Pilate, what I've written, I've written. He spoke the truth about God and a Roman soldier. Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, there's some some people say truly he is a as a Son of God. I like what it says. Truly he is the Son of God. Well, out of the obnoxious people, out of the mouths of some of the most obnoxious people, we find these words, the truth about God. They confessed a good confession because God used them, as he said about Pharaoh, for this same purpose have I raised you up. And you know what? He does that about everybody he raises up in authority. And for everybody in the church, for this purpose have I raised you up that I might show my glory in you. Well, the church, every every member of the body, every believer, every saved person is a trophy of grace of the righteous King of heaven. Here, he shall grow up unto him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Nothing by nature is about this one that would attract us. You know, that old uh, tree out there in the desert, Moses had seen trees like that, bushes like that, every time he was out there with a sheep. For 40 years he had observed trees like that. But it wasn't until one was on fire. He drew aside and says, I'm going to have a look at this. Thank God He does that for us. As we go through the Scriptures, there are those places that God uses to draw us aside. As we hear the Gospel, to draw us aside to hear the Word of God. In uh, in the book of Ezekiel, turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. In Ezekiel, chapter 34, this branch is speaking about His his humanity coming. That humanity suffered, as we read in Isaiah 53. Here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 34. We have these wonderful words. Ezekiel 34 and verse 29. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 29. It says, And I will raise up for them a plant of renown." And they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear the shame of the heathen any more. Isn't it wonderful that by grace we are not consumed with hunger anymore? He says, take me, eat, eat my flesh, drink my blood, take me. Have that very vital experience, an experimental relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ just like we would with a meal. Have that experimental relationship. And it says, I'll raise up for them a plant of renown. Now, I looked that word up, renown, because that's an interesting word. And you know, almost all the time, that word is translated name. Uh, And I will raise up a plant of a good name. A holy name, a righteous name. This is our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And this word is brought out a number of times 
in the Old Testament. Many times in the Old Testament. But I would like to just read a few that are found particularly in Isaiah and in Zechariah where this word is used because we have a name <clears throat> which is above every name. We have the name which is above every name. And this name which is above every name is also mentioned throughout the Old Testament. When we get into the Old Testament, we're reading about a name which is above every name. And when we're talking about a name, we're talking about a personality. We're talking about a person. We're talking about a being. We're talking about someone that is high. We're talking about, you know, we, we, we know each other by name. Well, the name is not the important thing. The person that stands behind that name. Now, that's the important thing. Well, here, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This word, renown is used over here a number of places, but notice with me in Isaiah chapter 9. At the Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, you know where we're going right there, because we have this glorious name. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. If we ever wonder what kind of capacity the Savior has, read Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For in Isaiah chapter 9 it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Here we have that nature of Jesus Christ, the uh, Emmanuel, God with us. We have Emmanuel here. It says here, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name. Now this is that word renown. This name. This is a renowned name. This is a great name. It goes on to tell us, and I wish there were hyphens instead of commas because it looks like we have a number of names, but it's really just one name. He has one of those English monarch names. (laughs) Lots of names. Here it says, and his name. Now, that's correct. His name is singular. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. He's He's a plant of renown. He is a he is the God-man of renown. He, he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's his name. A plant of renown. This great plant, the Lord Jesus, the branch, the Lord Jesus, is of renown. Every capacity about him is renowned. We would honor every bit of it. If we knew completely about him, we'd honor every bit of it. In our flesh, we have difficulty. By the Spirit of God that indwells us, we bow in every capacity. We worship Him with all our body, mind, soul, and spirit. Thank God the Holy Spirit does that for us. And in time, we'll do that with the new body that He gives unto us. So we have that name, Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. Would you turn there? Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8. Here it says, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. That is my name. I love that. I I am the Lord. That is my name. It represents all about me. I am the Messiah. I am Jehovah, the Savior of my people. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. I am the Lord, that is my name. That I'm renowned about this. I'm one of a kind about this. There's only one like me in all 
Heaven and earth, only one. And Jehovah is his name. And Messiah, the wonderful characteristics and attributes of Almighty God bodily before us as He shows us His grace in the New Testament and declares His work on the cross. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 47 and verse 4. Isaiah 47. This is that plant of renown, that branch. That glorious branch. This is His humanity coming for the purpose of laying down His life, a ransom for many. In Isaiah chapter 47 and verse 4, after uh, as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name. The Holy One of Israel. The Lord of hosts. Well, we mentioned in the past that Lord of hosts, that's a name in the greatest single area that we could find that describes that is Nebuchadnezzar's comments about God. Oh, He rules in the armies of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand or say, What doest thou? This is a comment that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar. And we just thank, we just look at that and say, thank you, Lord. So, this, this is my name. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51 and verse 15. Again, we have this name, this word renowned used as a name. Isaiah 51 and verse 15. But I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is His name. Now, in one place we say, the Lord of hosts is my name. Here we have the reference of a believer saying, the Lord of hosts is His name. As we look at Him, the Lord of hosts is His name. The Lord of glory is His name. The the high and lifted up one is His name. Jehovah is His name. That's what the church says. And God says about Himself, The Lord of hosts is my name. The High One of Israel is my name. So, we're just reflecting it. We're just moons. Reflecting what God says about Himself. That's all we can do. We have nothing in ourselves that is able to go beyond that. But He gives us those great truths in our heart and we're able to pour them back. In the book of of, uh, Zechariah chapter 13. Zechariah chapter 13. When we'll be in... Zechariah 13 proper for our study is open for debate. But we're going to look here in Zechariah 13 and verse 9. It says, And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried and they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. What? What's that name? He says, they shall call on my name. When we are given the grace, the belief to trust God, we are trusting the sovereign of all. Nothing less. Nothing less. We have Him as the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing less. Now, there may be days that we don't seem to think that, and there may be days that we don't act that, but we are given that great blessing to have Him and nothing less than Him as the Lord. We says they sh- And I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah is my God, this Savior of His people. What a blessing it is to know the branch 
and this root out of dry ground, and these different symbols and pictures and types and shadows. And it's a plant of renown. He has a name about him. And his name is wonderful. At his, and, and at his name, there is no one that will resist him. When he speaks, all bow. All he had to say is, I am. The word he is supplied there when they came after him to arrest him. I am. And they all were on their face. What did he reveal to Paul or Saul of Tarsus? Revealed to him as Lord. Where was he? On his face. Lord. Lord. In the book of Zechariah 14 and verse 9. Zechariah 14 and verse 9. It says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. Shall there be one Lord and His name one All of the names that we read about the Lord in the Scriptures are about one. Just one. Not many. Just one. He is the one. And He is the one that gave Himself a ransom for the church. He is the one that shed His blood on the behalf of the church. He's the one that is brought out in the covenant of grace as being our surety, as being the one that would have our sins imputed to Him and promised to impute His righteousness to us. What glory it is to read about this branch. Just a few moments that I have left, there is another wonderful place that mentions a rod. And that's found over in the book of Numbers when there was a division among the people. There was a usurper came along and says, you know, you're just taking too much authority on yourself. Just too much authority. And uh, we want to be considered in that. And so the Lord tells us in Numbers chapter 17. Would you go back there? This is the word rod or staff or sometimes it's uh, uh, a twig or a branch. This was a rod and... Uh, 182 times in the Old Testament, this word is translated tribe. When we look at the tribe of Levi, the tribe of uh, the rest of the tribes, this same word is used there. In the book of Numbers, chapter 17, we find that God did humor the folks. He did allow 12 twigs to be set aside. The book of Numbers chapter 17. How gracious he was. Not just pour out his righteous indignation, but he was, he humored the folks. He humored Moses. He humored the rest of the folks. And in Numbers chapter 17 and verse 6, it says that Moses spake unto the children of Israel, every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece, a branch. One of these, staffs that they were walking, which at one time was a living branch, been hewn off for a prince, one according to their father's house, even twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now, I just have to say, God was generous. He let them do this. He let them put these rods aside, and then God is going to demonstrate my choice. The God of heaven has the right to make a choice. And he has chosen all of his people in Christ before the foundation of the world. Why? 
because he's sovereign and has the right to. Just as much as he did here. came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded, and brought forth buds, and bloomed blossoms, and yielded almonds. Now that's just a wonderful picture of our Savior. He doesn't look like much to the world, but to the church he is altogether lovely. Every attribute, every characteristic, every word is lovely to the church. And then we know what he did to the rebels. God has the right to do as he did here. He has the right to do that. He is God. And he did that. But this one, this one rod, what a glorious statement is made when this one rod, all the glory, picture of Christ, not only did it have life in it, but it had buds, it had blossoms, it, the blossoms had produced fruit, and there was fruit on it in one night. Now, we look at this, we find out the Lord Jesus Christ, by His own purpose, and by His covenant of grace, determined to lay aside in this earth, in a borrowed tomb for three days, and three nights. And when He came out, the church says, Oh my, he's living. He has buds and blossoms and fruit. To some, you know, the word goes out and it just hasn't been effectual yet. But those who are the almonds, they have been effectually worked on. They're bearing fruit. They're bearing fruit. What a glorious thing we have in this one, the Lord Jesus Christ. The seed of a woman. The seed of Abraham. The seed of David has come and by the sacrifice of himself he appeared with the sacrifice of himself to put away sin. I marvel. But I believe he put away sin. This branch, this righteous branch, this branch of God, this one that we look at and says, God calls him by this name. And we call him by this name too, because he's let us know that very thing. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but by once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, we're waiting for the last one to have this sacrifice applied. In God's mind, it's just as, as sure and taken care of already. But through the preaching of the gospel, God's going to bring that last one to the knowledge of this very fact in regeneration. And when that last one is saved, the last one to name the name of Christ, the last one to know the branch, the last one to see this great work of grace, this is going to be wrapped up in an instant. And on the right hand will be those who know the branch, and on the left will be those who will feel the branch. So, we're going to close there tonight and we'll pick up the study. Two verses left in this third chapter we want to look at and we'll do that. But we're thankful for your joining us tonight and for the fellowship that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you give us this time together. And Lord, through this technology, even in inclement weather, even when there's uh, difficulties and so forth that go on, we can meet together this way. Uh, Lord, uh, that fellow came 
and spoke to me yesterday about what's the church coming to. Uh, we have to use technology. And I just said, there was a whole bunch of folks that depended on the letters of Paul. That was the technology of the day. And what about those those uh, uh, saints scattered abroad during the times of Peter? So we get together this way. We like to do it a different way, but here we are. And we just thank you for this. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be with the requests that have been made known. Be with our friends, our family. Be with our brother down there in in uh, uh, Louisiana. Lord, this happens for a purpose. You know. And we just pray that you'd uh, bless that uh, group, that church there, and in, as they work on their building and get it back to uh, functioning again. Dismiss us, Lord, with your blessing and watch over us till we're permitted to meet again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.